Welcome to episode 146 of the GTO on 5G. It's the latest insight scoop on everything 5G. Cover six topics in about 20 minutes, and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is fellow analyst Anshul Sag. Let's get started with my first topic, and I want to talk about SoftBank and NVIDIA. Hey, I think NVIDIA comes up in every conversation, it seems, on a daily basis, especially since their stock just skyrocketed that one day when they provided guidance that they had $4 billion in revenue upside over the next few quarters here. But I want to talk about a new piece of silicon that they're launching, Grace Hopper. And if you know who Grace Hopper is, she was a computer scientist. And I believe a rear admiral, so a very accomplished woman. And there's actually a Grace Hopper organization, and it's focused on empowering women and STEM. And my daughters have participated in that program. But anyway, Grace Hopper is an icon. And NVIDIA has taken her name to, to name the super chip. And what's really cool about it is that it's integrating both an ARM CPU and an NVIDIA GPU to supercharge VRAN use cases. And GPUs are, are very flexible. They're designed for multi-use, but in distributed unit applications, those tend to be very taxing. And so with Grace Hopper, integrating the CPU and the GPU together, they're expecting, NVIDIA is expecting to be able to deliver significant throughput performance. And what's interesting is this announcement that broke just recently with SoftBank Basically, SoftBank has an exclusive time frame with respect to being first mover for deployment. And SoftBank is obviously SoftBank. We've talked about SoftBank. They have their vision fund. They're also a mobile network operator in Japan. But um, they're going to lean into Grace Hopper to supercharge their open RAN deployment. So again, I think NVIDIA is so in vogue right now. Generative AI is as in vogue as well. And this just points to another opportunity for NVIDIA to really go head to head with Intel because these COT servers that are being used for a lot of these open RAN deployments are just, they're not providing the right level of throughput that's needed for some of these very, very complex telecommunication workloads. But I know that's a lot, but I'm wondering if you caught this, Anshul, and if you have any insights. Did catch this. The one thing I thought was interesting was this is this possibly could have come out of the relationship that SoftBank and NVIDIA had when NVIDIA tried to acquire ARM from SoftBank. Oh. So I feel like that could have been the genesis of this. That deal did not go through, but clearly NVIDIA still has good enough technology that SoftBank clearly wanted to continue to work with them outside of the acquisition. Yeah. But in general, I think NVIDIA is becoming more aggressive in telecom. And they already have quite a bit of a reputation when it comes to it, their ability to accelerate AI mm -hmm. and do it in an uh, easy way in terms of software. But I do think that NVIDIA is like the first mover here, I think, in a lot of ways. But I do think that NVIDIA will have competition from Intel and AMD and others, you know, because... There's going to, there are going to be refreshes and there will be more standardization of a lot of the AI workloads that are being put on these processors. Um, yeah. and optimizations will improve, but currently NVIDIA does have the most comprehensive solution for AI deployment almost in any market, which I think is part of their strategy. And yeah, it's really interesting to see NVIDIA really starting to ship a lot of these technologies into actual implementations and networks or whatever data center it is. And I think that's why they had to guide their 
financials so much higher uh, yeah. for the next financial quarter. And I yeah. think this, they're probably going to have this throughout the year, to be honest with you, until the competition starts to roll out hundred products. Yeah, and it's not their first foray in, into the telecommunications world. I think on a prior podcast, I spoke about their relationship with AT&T and what they're doing to help AT&T leverage AI for more intelligent truck roles and that sort of thing to diagnose and remediate network performance issues. And I think I we're going to hear Singtel too, if you remember that. Yeah, I do. Yeah. So I think we're going to hear a lot more about NVIDIA within the telecommunications industry. But let's move to your first topic. And you're going to talk about Motorola launching the Razor and Razor Plus in the US again. And I remember, man, my first Razor, what a sweet phone that was. And so it sounds like there are a lot of excited people about this, right? Yeah. So there's some interesting stuff going on here. One, they are rebooting the Razor. They already rebooted the Razor brand in 2020. But they weren't really competitive in some ways. They weren't, they, they didn't really have things together fully. Samsung kind of had the, the leadership spot there and Samsung was just do, couldn't do no wrong. Mm -hmm. And they were owning the flip market and the fold market. And I think Motorola has made incremental improvements from generation to generation. But with this new Razer series, which is being called the Razer 40 series globally, but in the US it's just being called the Razer. There's two tiers, the $1,000 Razer then there's a, I want to say it's $1,200 Razor, or it might be the other way around. Pricing is, yeah. So the Razor Plus is $1,000, and then the regular Razor, I think, is like 800 bucks. So they're okay. helping bring down the cost of foldables, and they're doing it with a really competitive model because the actual Razor Plus, which is the $1,000 model, is the same price or cheaper than what Samsung is offering today, but it has yeah. a gigantic... 3.6 inch front screen where the cameras are cut out of the display. So almost the whole half outside part of the phone is just screen and it's gorgeous. Wow. Um, I wish I had one to show you, but they didn't send me one yet. And they had their launch of that yesterday or before yesterday. But what's also interesting is the top tier model will come with the Snapdragon 8 Plus Gen 1. So it will not be the absolute latest. And then the cheaper Razer will be the Snapdragon 7 Gen 1. So they're trying, they're offering lower performance SOCs in order to, I believe, offer a more affordable product in general. I wish it was a Snapdragon 8 Gen 2 because it'd probably be way more performant and better battery life, but costs are costs. And the regular Razer is going to have a smaller screen, which looks a lot more like what the Samsungs have today. But the Plus will have this gigantic outside screen, which is three times bigger than what Samsung has today. And yeah inside screen when it's unfolded is a 6.9 inch screen so it's a huge Jeez. screen yeah. um, but when you fold it in half it's real easy to pocket i have a the the op the oppo phone that i reviewed and it's so small in your hand when you fold it in half and when you unfold it it's the same size screen as an ultra s23 ultra so it's mm -hmm. kind of the best of both worlds i think motorola really knows that they have a winner all the reviewers that i know that went to, to the event or have seen the device in person are in, absolutely in love with it. I think they're going to have a big winner here. I'll quickly rattle off some specs. The The cameras are 32 megapixels on the, on the Plus model. And the crazy part is the outside screen gets up to 1100 nits bright. So because it's an outside screen and you're most likely to look at it with daylight, it will never be too dark for you to see outside when you're just mm -hmm. glancing. And yeah, it's literally double the size of the old Razer screen from mm -hmm. 20, 
22, I think. Yeah. They've made huge improvements. Everybody seems to be really a big fan of this device. And Motorola is already rolling out quite a bit of advertising for this. It will be available on every carrier except Verizon, which is surprising because the original Razer and almost every Razer that's come out until now has been a Verizon device or a Verizon exclusive. Yeah, that is interesting. The 90s are calling. So I can't wait for you to share some images of that. I'm sure you'll be doing a Forbes article on, on your insights there. But let's move to my second topic. And I want to talk about Nokia. And this week they launched 5G core networking software for specific industry needs. And what I really like about this is that they're leaning into their historically very strong brand capabilities to develop some solutions specifically for public and wide area networking verticals like utilities and, and safety and first responder and that sort of thing. And, and this just really extends what Nokia has been doing from a private networking perspective. And what I found interesting is that uh, today, the addressable market for these solutions is about 1 billion euros, but they believe that can increase by 50% within the next three to four years. And they view this as a significant opportunity to grow their share in a market that they're already pretty well established in. And um, these solutions, pre-announced them, they're going to support both LTE and 5G, and they're expecting it was a little ambiguous, but commercially available later this year, likely third quarter or fourth quarter. But I don't know if you caught the announcement, but I think it's pretty compelling. And again, it really, from my perspective, provides Nokia further momentum because they've really been leading the charge in private. Now, I will admit Ericsson Cradle Point are quickly catching up and Samsung continues to do very well in VRAM and in private deployments as well. But what are your thoughts? One question I had for you is, do you think that this software will help Nokia's customers deploy with their customers? Because Nokia is not really directly working with a lot of the actual customers. They usually have some kind of integrator in between. Yeah. So these integrators, you do you see this as a way to accelerate integrators' deployments of private 5G networks? Yeah, I believe so. And I think one of the knocks that Nokia has gotten has been usability and complex sort of architectural requirements that, that require some heavy lifting. I've heard the term, a lot of the stuff they're doing is quote unquote, carrier grade. And hey, traditionally the Nokias and the Ericsson's and the Samsung's of the world, they charge, they charge a little hefty sum there for the integration for these big, massive public mobile networks. But yeah, I, yeah, I, that's a long way to answer your question, but I believe, yes, this will help integrators and simplify what they're doing with, with private networking deployments. And uh, we've talked about this on prior podcasts as well. The ramp in private wireless has been, I think, slower than a lot of folks have expected, but it just takes time. You've got to get the spectrum out there. I think OnGo has done a great job, CBRS. And, and then also, it's just all these different routes to deployment that basically enterprises have to take a pause and evaluate. I think I've, I'm on record stating that I really believe that we're going to see the momentum on private wireless really pick up the latter part of this year. But time will tell. But let's go to your second topic. And you want to talk about Cleveland Clinic and what they're doing to deploy 5G in hospitals. And by the way, I think 5G is a huge use case opportunity deployment scenario for hospitals. And I'll share my insights after you get started. Yeah, so this came from an Axios article where Cleveland Clinic said that they're working with Verizon Business to um, basically deploy 
5G inside hospitals and that they will have their first fully enabled 5G facility by July and that they believe there are enough 5G devices today to enable a lot of these smart hospital applications where they're potentially able to use NFC and beacons and 5G connectivity for devices where they can yeah. always know where everyone and everything is in real time because there's so many different moving parts to a hospital including the human parts and it's, it's being able to manage all those things is really challenging and yeah. i think we all can agree that 5G is almost a perfect application for that ideally it would have been wi-fi but it, there's so much interference and yes. if you get the right spectrum in place i think that's a real component of it and they're talking about how 5G is able to deliver these super low latency connectivity compared to 70 milliseconds on 4G. Yeah. And that the latency is a real big component of it. And Cleveland Clinic has facilities around the world now. So there's a chance that they could actually deploy this globally. Um, and it could be a model for other hospitals. But it's really interesting to see that they're really aggressive on it. And there already are 5G hospitals. The Department of Veterans, the VA, has a Palo Alto healthcare system, and that was actually the first 5G-enabled hospital in the U.S., and that yeah. was in February of 2020. Uh, I think there's still a lot more room for improvement, and unfortunately, the, the healthcare industry moves pretty slowly, regulations and other things. I'm hoping that this will help accelerate the growth of 5G in, in, in healthcare and enable better healthcare outcomes at lower costs. Yeah, I agree. And when I worked in corporate America, I spent some time with a company. I may have spoken about this on prior podcasts, but helped launch a digital signage company into the healthcare space for mounting solutions, point of care, and that sort of thing within hospitals. And one of the one of the big challenges in hospitals, at least older hospitals, is the material that's used. So a lot of concrete, a lot of steel that blocks propagation. And you you know even if you densify with Wi-Fi it's difficult to get consistent connectivity. And that's where LTE and 5G really shine within hospitals. And then when you look at 5G, to your point, ultra low latency on a standalone deployment, that's sub five millisecond, you're going to be able to do some really interesting things. I've seen a lot of AR, VR applications, and you can cut the cord using AR and VR to do things like determine where you're going to fix a break in an arm or that sort of thing, or if you're placing pens into bones and that sort of thing. I think there's a tremendous there's a tremendous application there, and that's something that obviously you're very focused on for our firm. And then I would say finally, 5G's massive device support. To your point, you've got sensors, you've got beacons, you've got you have imaging equipment, you have all types of medical equipment that needs to be connected. That's feeding into electronic medical recording systems, removing the the challenge of having people input data into those EMR systems which creates typically their mistakes made. And that can be catastrophic, especially when it comes to life and death situations. Yeah, I think we're really going to see 5G shine and we're going to continue to hear about more use cases in healthcare. But with that, let's move to my third and final topic. And I want to talk about NTT Docomo. Say that fast three times really quickly. <laughs> and they're taking a page from Rakuten Symphony and they're jumping into the 5G open RAN infrastructure game. And I think this is interesting. So this is the second Japanese operator that really wants to get in there and leverage their lessons learned and then monetize that for other telcos. So what NTT Docomo is saying is that they expect to have a competitive open RAN solution 
on the market by the end of the year. They are, this is going to be a part of their Oryx line. And they've already said that under Oryx, they've signed up five partners, KT, Vodafone, Smart Communications, Dish, and Singtel. And it'll be, from my perspective, when I caught this, it'll be really interesting to see if there's enough room for another mobile network operator to do what Rakuten is doing. And I was initially when Tarek and his team at Rakuten launched Symphony, I was a little, let's not say bullish on the on the idea because mobile network operators are very competitive and could they really be successful? But time has proven that Rakuten has been successful with Symphony. And so I don't know if you caught this news, but I thought it was interesting. We've got another NMNO jumping into the open RAN infrastructure. It's interesting. I wonder how much of this has to do with the NT side, um, just because right. NTT has so much like of a consult. It's like a consulting business and they do a they're lot an of- integrator. Yeah, they're an integrator. They're working with Cisco on lots of 5G smart city yeah. type of plans. So You're absolutely I, right. I wonder how much of this is being driven by the NTT side. Um, yeah. Just because NTT Docomo is a carrier and I don't really know what their relationships are like outside of Japan. And, I feel like NT has a lot of relationships outside Japan. So it'll be interesting to see how this works out. It wasn't necessarily smooth sailing for Rakuten in this no. space. It will be interesting to see how they actually approach this and whether or not actions are being profitable. Yeah, no, I agree, buddy. Hey, let's hit your third and final. And I caught wind of this as well. And it's actually quite fascinating. But you want to talk about Amazon and the possibility of their launching an MVNO for Prime members. And I'm a Prime member. I bet you're a Prime member. I bet probably everyone that tunes into our podcast is a Prime member. <laughs> yeah, I think it's really interesting because they have increased their Prime prices to $130 or $140 a year. If you remember, it used to be 99 bucks. But the interesting thing is that this was like a rumored thing that came out from Bloomberg. And a lot of people, a lot of carriers that were initially included in this story included AT&T Mobile and Verizon and all mm -hmm. their spokespeople have denied that they're being involved in these talks. Right. Um, just people have not. And if you look at the share price of Dish, it's up like over 10%, I think, uh, on these on this news. It might even be 20%. So yeah. they clearly got a big pop of news for this. But really the idea is that they would offer an MVNO service to their customers, probably through Dish is what it sounds like. And you know what? It's entirely possible that Dish could actually offer them a wholesale price to get enough customers on the network to justify Dish's overall growth and investment in their network. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I do think this is possible. I don't really know what the plan will look like. I have a feeling it'll probably be a small plan, yeah. maybe like a five to 10 gig cap and maybe even speed throttled as well, but it's free. With Prime, no. but they've there have been rumors of free services from Amazon in the past, like a streaming service, which they eventually did launch. So there there might be some truth to this rumor, but I do think it is really interesting because it did cause T-Mobile shares to drop as well as AT&T's as well as Verizon. Yeah. Um, clearly, there is a concern that a Amazon MVNO running on Dish could put pr downward price pressure on the big three carriers whom they can yeah. be with. 
it's interesting and I do the move on, on Dish's part because, and I've spoken about this on prior podcasts, they're going to have to approach the market differently than the big three because they just, if they go head to head, just traditionally, that's not going to be a winning proposition for them. I've talked about the possibility of IoT. So I think this really plays to that idea, be differentiated. I Yeah, I saw this, the sort of the stock dips too on the AT&Ts and T-Mobiles and Verizons, but I think this is more, and just in my humble opinion, I think if you were to be able to have basically some free service to your point that's throttled or capped and it comes with your prime membership, I think that does more to cannibalize and eat into other prepaid services than necessarily postpaid services. That's just one guy's opinion, because I do think to your point, it's not going to be an unlimited plan. It's not, it's probably not going to be a full featured phone. It's going to be something that's going to be a little more competitive on the prepaid front. This reminds me of something that, that we're seeing a lot of the carriers do, which is yeah. trying to convert a lot of their prepaid to postpaid. So yeah. it's possible that a lot of the carriers see this is a, a as a potential continuation of that trend or acceleration where low-end prepaid like customers might end up being commoditized like this. And yeah. they might just be pushing more and more people to postpaid as much as they can before they get all of their prepaid customers completely evaporated. So yeah. that's a just a thought that I had mit while you were talking about it. All right, cool. Well, hey, it's been another great podcast. Why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide insights on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Welltown Tech and I'm at Anshal Sog. We hope you have a great weekend and please tune in again next week. And don't forget to rate and subscribe.